The kettle's boiled, Vic. Great. Perfect timing. Just a dash of milk for me, please, mate. Here you go. Shall we get started, then? Have you ever woken up on a Sunday morning and said, I'm never drinking again, and then found yourself waving 50 bucks at a barman by happy hour? Are you wondering why everyone else can stop at one, while you head to a dodgy after-party with a weird bloke called Disco Dave? If so, it might be time to take a deeper look at your relationship with your reliable social crutch, alcohol. On each episode, we'll investigate our own dysfunctional dealings with booze and find out if it's possible to stop this deeply ingrained habit before things get too messy. Yep, we're going to open up a shame shed of humiliating drinking stories to help you understand why waking up from a booze coma each weekend with a kebab sticking out of your top pocket might actually be negatively impacting your health. Hamish and I are here to delve into what it's like being sober, an unwanted warts and all look into why giving up those cheeky pints or putting down those mummy wines will make you feel happier, help your anxiety and mental health and turn you into the most sparkly authentic version of you. Won't that mean I become boring though, Vic? Well, Hamish, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Hamish Adams-Cairns. And this is Sober Awkward. Yeah, so basically I've started a fitness regime. I'm doing like boot camp. I'm eating rabbit food for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Yeah, it's quite depressing really. I've got a bit of a headache today. No coffee for two days I've had. You proud of me? I'm proud of you. Yeah, you're, you're not. I can I can hardly see you. So skinny now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a waif <laughs> melting away. What about uh, you, Alan? You got a exercise regime? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'd say that's a no then. And off the troll goes waddling out of the door <laughs> as usual. <laughs> off to McDonald's. <laughs> do, you, do you feel good for it? Honestly, no. I'm starting to feel good. I think it's my body's a bit in shock this week. Yeah, but yeah. No, I'm looking forward to being fitter again. I do enjoy feeling fitter. It's not about how I look for me. Mm-hmm. It's about how I feel. And if I feel good, then I'm good to go. And is, so. is the no coffee part of that? The no coffee is just part of this clean eat thing I'm doing. Yeah. So I'm willing to give it a go. Any addiction, I think, you know, chocolate, mm. coffee, booze, cocaine, whatever it is, I reckon it's good to have a break from everything at some point, isn't it? Nice. Yeah. And you've got to do this for a month. Yeah, but I'm going to start taking heroin as well. Yeah, take up cocaine <laughs> and, and drop, drop chocolate. Yeah, I'm going to take up a few and drop a few. No, not really. <laughs> I'm just going to try and be fitter and healthier so that I'm having trouble picking up my kids. I know they're getting Mm -hmm. bigger, but I don't like feeling like weak in my back and stuff. I want to be able to chuck my kids around in the ocean and things like that. So I just want to be fitter for them more than than anybody else. I want to be able to chuck my kids. That's what I'm getting. I want to be able to chuck them (laughs) away from me. And then just drown them in the ocean if I have to. (laughs) Be able to throw them far away from me. Further than they can swim back. Over the fence. (laughs) Yeah. How are you, How are you, Hamish? speaking of kids, I became an uncle this week oh hooray yeah so I, so I, I guess I kind of I, I kind of became an uncle the day I married Liz because I inherited her two nephews yeah but this not week the, not the same it's though, not is quite it? the same um, but no, although I love both of them of and course, then, of course. <laughs> but no yeah this week I actually kind of my brother's wife had a baby girl how lovely so I will meet her in a week when I go back to England I'll actually get to meet her she's tiny 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 she was a little bit premature but yeah she's called Ida oh and, lovely yeah but I think Liz is as excited 
excited as me because she obviously wanted a girl. We had a boy. She's got two nephews. She wanted nieces. Oh, nice. So finally she has got finally a Finally the girl, a girl is here. Because we have quite a lot of girls' clothes, even though we have a boy. Okay. She was hoping that if she bought the clothes, maybe it would change the gender. But yeah. we were always having a boy. <laughs> um, so we do have some girls' clothes. We can bring them back. Okay, excellent. Got some gifts. You yeah. don't have to buy gifts. No. Very tight of you. Just, just, just hand on the old gifts, eh? What a horrible way of looking at that gift. <laughs> yeah, just hand on the old gifts, eh, Hamish? <laughs> just paint it pink. Paint it pink again to it. <laughs> what are we talking about today rather than this total waffle? <laughs> okay, today's episode is one that I've chosen a little bit selfishly, to be honest. It's the area in which I feel the least prepared and have struggled with the most since going sober. We're going to be talking about discovering new ways to commiserate and celebrate sober. Oh, this can be one of the biggest banana skins in maintaining your sobriety, Hamish. We have become so accustomed to toasting the good times and numbing out the bad with alcohol that we can feel lost without it. I have 100% seen more alcohol served at funerals than weddings in my lifetime, which is bizarre. It is bizarre. But the reason this episode is a selfish one, Vic, is because I feel totally unprepared and unable to offer any sound advice. So I'm instead turning to you for help. Well, good on you, Hame. And I hope by the end of this episode, I can answer some of the questions that you or some of our newly sober listeners have been asking yourselves. You are our sober guru of grape juice, the Dalai Lama of lemonade and the Mother Teresa of tea. Enlighten us, Vic. Bloody hell, Hayme, you've taken it a bit far there. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Should we just get on with the podcast? Yeah, let's do it. Sorry. <laughs> Rather than focus too much on weddings, birthday parties or work functions, all of which I think we've covered in the previous episode called The Big Event, during the course of the next half hour or so, we want to instead address the more frequent, everyday ups and downs of life. That's right. We're talking about the highs of pay rises, job promotions or a family member giving birth. And the common lows of somebody you love getting sick, a relationship breakup, losing your job or being disappointed with your children's behaviour. Which happens a lot in my house. (laughs) Much of this type of news you might receive when you're alone or at home, you will have a simple decision to make. How does this make me feel and how should I react? I just had a real impulse to say, open your toolboxes, folks, because Vic is going to fill them up with the tools you need to face any situation. It does feel quite kids TV presentery, but I do love it. I, I think we'll just leave that bit in. I think you do sound like a kids presenter. It's I like do my like dream. your voice. Yeah, I think you are made for that job, basically. <laughs> but you are very strange, Hamish, Thank at you. the same time. So I'm not sure whether children would appreciate that or not. You might scare them a bit, especially in the mankini. Here's one I made earlier. Well done. Uh, Very good. By the end of today's episodes, I hope we can prepare you for each of these situations as they arise. I'm sure that overcoming these can become a huge step in my sobriety. It might make me feel more confident and more proud of myself as they come and go without me giving in to those alcohol temptations. In this section, we're going to break down our lives into three stages. We're going to begin by turning back the hands of time and looking at how we reacted to good and bad news before we even knew what booze was, before looking at how things changed during our drinking years and what we do now. So Vic, in this section, I'm happy for you to talk about your own childhood and also how you've witnessed your kids deal with these ups and downs. Well, as a kid, I dealt with situations normally. 
if something made me sad, like the time my pogo stick fell in dog shit or my dummy <laughs> fell down a French toilet or I got caught eating fish food, I just cried. I processed my sadness then and there. I didn't know there was a way to not feel. Are we talking about Ben and Jerry's fish food there? <laughs> no, it was actually just fish food. Oh. I used to eat fish food. Oh. Did you never eat fish food as a kid? I never had fish. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> be much weirder. We used to have a tank with Steely Dan was our fish. <laughs> And we used to, well, I used to eat all the fish food. It was really yummy, wow. but I don't think I was supposed to. Because um, when I got caught, everyone was quite shocked and thought I was a weirdo. My other question about the dummy, uh, yes. did you rescue it? And No, it was the last time I had a dummy was it fell down the French toilet. It was one of the standing up toilets yeah. they used to get in France. Oh, nice, the squat and, and drops. Yeah, and that was like, that's the end of it. I was 18. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a good way of getting rid of the dummy, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I remember kids. it clearly. It's like yesterday. <laughs> Last of the dummy. Is it like the ring in Lord of the Rings when <laughs> yeah. it's falling? Yeah. Falling down the hole <laughs> into the eye of Zoran. <laughs> I was the same with happiness. If I scored a place on the netball team at school, I high-fived. If I stole all the digestives without anyone finding out, I just did like a secret high-five to myself <laughs> and a yes to the sky. If I won an award for falling over like a lady, which I used to get in my old post school... <laughs> <laughs> I felt pride. I dealt with the highs and lows as they came and went. In my old school, Hamish, good, we had to learn. Yeah, well, funnily enough, in the last episode, we were talking about comportment. Yeah. And we had comportment classes <gasps> where they measured the length between the top of our socks and the bottom of our skirts and that we were wearing brown pants. Oh, our uniform God. was all brown. And one of the lessons was you need to fall over like a lady if you're out in public and something oh. causes you to fall down. And they taught us how to actually fall down. We had bat books. About, I, this isn't 1950 <laughs> I'm talking this about insane. this was in the early 90s and I had books balanced on my head and I had to fall over onto my side and everyone went oh well done jolly good show what yes. was the point in the books that they, they so wouldn't that you, fall off so that you fell down oh. so the books didn't fall off your head so you fell down <laughs> you fell down slowly and gently like a lady and you won an award for that I won an award for falling down like it's a, a lady a a certificate what I think it? it was a little rosette yeah of course it was <laughs> So, yeah, I I dealt with those things as they happened. Now I see my kids doing the same. Nell gets excited and giddy when she thinks about unicorns. Mm. You can see it happening in her brain, like her (laughs) eyes light up and I'm like, what are you thinking about? And she's just like, unicorns. (laughs) (laughs) My son Fred cries when Granny pretends to be a zombie and George, well, he just slams the door when he's overwhelmed. But he does do the old funny naked dance when he's feeling elated. All healthy ways of dealing with what's going on with life, I think. What about you, Hamish? (laughs) Well, when I think back, I think about good news and bad news. So, yeah, the the best news that I can remember getting as a child was that I won a scholarship to my school. And I can remember coming down the stairs, my parents being there holding this letter that they were buzzing said hey you got it you got the scholarship and I could remember being really happy hugging both of them and then going back upstairs and playing FIFA by myself but feeling really pleased with myself you know like quite a lot of my life I have gotten good news gone into a bathroom by myself closed the door and like danced yeah yeah just furiously (laughs) wanked That's one way of dealing with it with the joy (laughs) Need to get this energy out somehow no I, I would like jump up for joy and like dance in the mirror of, of, a, of a bathroom. That's quite often how I remember, even as an adult, dealing with good news. That is a perfect way to deal with good news, isn't it? Feel it, 
Yeah, not the wank. <laughs> <laughs> but that's lovely, though, that you just went into a room and danced and were happy yeah. and felt it. And it probably prolonged the feeling even. Absolutely. And also, I think back, I was good at football at prep school. I'm not all that good now, but I was good at prep school. And I can remember if I scored a goal or a hat-trick or whatever, I'd be buzzing for a day or a week rather than as an adult when you get good news. It's like a really short up and down. Like yes, get drunk, yes, exactly. Celebrate. At like 12 out of 10 yep. and then it immediately ends and you're hungover and the joy is over whereas as a kid that could last days or weeks yep. of like reveling in the joy of having a good football match it was yep. for me totally and as a result of that I think certificates or like you said certificates, yeah, certificates or the, the thing that you won for rosettes. Your rosettes or medals meant a lot more now if I get a medal you wear it for that day and then you lose it or you put it in a drawer and never see it again then I treasured my medals they were yep. all hanging in my bedroom like I, I'd still put them on every now and then like a few months later put on oh, wear, wear all of them at once yes. so I feel like a sweet heavy and weird. neck and feel yep. cool yeah, yeah sure it's weird but come on um, <laughs> but when I think about bad news it's interesting as a child because I think you get bad news you cry you strop you moan and you get over it yeah so it's kind of dealt with it's the opposite of good news so good news as an adult it goes very fast because you get drunk and it's up and down. Yeah. Bad news as a child, I think, goes very fast because you just feel it and then you cry and then stop and you're done. Yeah, so true. Whereas if you're an adult, you know, like if you have a breakup and you just get drunk or you lose your job and you just get drunk for a month and you keep reliving it, then it really can drag it out and make yes, it way more painful. The pain. yeah. yeah, totally agree with that. Mm. It's interesting. You just remind me of the one of the good news topics that I forgot to mention was the time I won the Donkey Derby at the Newbury show. I, that was a long, elated time for me. I think for weeks I was cheering myself on. Rosette again? Yeah, Rosette. Yeah. <laughs> on top of, the, you know, on the standing on the platform with the t- with second yeah. and third people next to me with my fist held high, <laughs> you know, staring at my donkey, giving it a good pat on the back. That was one of my proudest moments of my life. <laughs> staring at my donkey, giving it a pat on the back sounds like what I was doing in the bathroom. <laughs> A special pack. <laughs> good donkey. Yes, what a good boy. Buckaroo, <laughs> uh, uh, oh, buckaroo. What are we talking about? Vic, I wanted to start the discussion about how we dealt with the ups and downs during our drinking years with a really fascinating and insightful exploration of why we turned to alcohol to celebrate the highs and commiserate the lows. But the more I thought about it, the more I realised I couldn't think of an interesting reason. I think we've just been programmed into thinking good news equals champagne and a piss-up, bad news equals pints to give perspective or numb the pain. Can you think of anything more interesting than that to add? Well, there's a few things I came up with, Hamish, actually. (laughs) You are naturally a bit more intelligent than me. I don't think so. (laughs) I didn't find that a problem at all. I'm just older than you. It's such a huge mixture of elements, a complex array of customs, attitudes, beliefs and values that surround the use of booze. Alcohol has been around since 3500 BC, which means in that time people have used it for all sorts of reasons, starting with religious monks brewing ales that they exchanged for food, Greeks and Romans who drank heavily at religious orgies to honour their gods, and populations across Africa and much of Asia for whom drinking and drunkenness were celebrated as ways to alter consciousness. 
So what I'm saying here, Hamish, is that this way of using alcohol to celebrate or process emotion has been going on for fucking years. <laughs> okay. So then you add a sprinkling of family addiction, a dollop of media influence, an extra helping of low self-esteem and a spoonful of environmental criteria. And you begin to see that growing up and not drinking to cure life's problems is almost impossible. Yep, it's what we've always done. It's a long, deeply ingrained, 5,000-year-old tradition. Those naughty little Greeks and Romans. Yes, damn them indeed. Right, let's put aside those monks and focus here on times that we turned to drink in emotional situations and got it wrong. Rick. 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 (laughs) Ricky. Ricky. (laughs) Vic, I feel as if you might have a few good stories to share here. Well, I think I used alcohol a lot when boyfriends dumped me. I always got drunk after hearing their pathetic excuses as to why they didn't want to be with me anymore. One of them was, I can't surf the city beaches, Vic. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was were quite keep, You were keeping him from surfing yeah. the city beaches. I can't surf the city beaches no more. I've got to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> he was Pakistani, was he? Yeah. <laughs> My bad accent. That was supposed to be Australian. I got it, I got it. Someone else said to me, I need to find myself before I commit. I said, go on then, find yourself. <laughs> Slam the door. Um, and somebody else said, why are you always so happy? Which is a reason why they didn't want to be with me oh, anymore. I'm looking lovely. for someone a bit more miserable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, these things always made me frustrated and sad and pissed off. And it happened so much that I felt like I needed to get rid of the feeling. So, of mm. course, I drank. I drank away the rejection, I guess. Another time I drank to oblivion was when I was happy, like a mate's birthday or a party, or when I got sacked from GTI Fridays. Why? Because <laughs> I pissed on someone's carpet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You weren't going to say that, were you? No, I wasn't actually. I, you asked me. I was like, please don't ask me. I could feel that the pause was you were going to ask me. Every single I'll tell person you that story. listening I'll would tell have been you that like, story ask another her, time. ask her, ask her. Um, Things like when I scored backstage passes to a gig or won a competition or something like that. Again, I celebrated with alcohol. I did win five grand once, actually, Hamish. And I what? remember just going totally wasted afterwards. How did you and win five grand? I knew the answers to who the famous people were in one of those quizzes in Sydney. And I just phoned up and went, I don't know who they are. And it was like, yeah, you've won five grand. On yeah. the radio? On the radio, yeah. Wow. Yeah, never won anything in my life. How much of it did you spend that night? Actually, I paid off my credit card bill with it. Oh, that's very responsible. Yeah, it was quite, actually. <laughs> I put it towards a nice sofa. The time I remember being most happy was when I went to raves back in the early days. I went to a few raves when I was sort of 14 or 15 years old, and I remember feeling the total euphoria of mm. being in a room full of people that were happy before any drug hit my bloodstream. Of yeah. course, there were drugs taken in that scene but I remember that feeling and that's something I feel now in my sobriety is being amongst people that you feel like are your people Mm. being amongst a tribe you know with robots on stilts and colourful black backdrops and people dancing like they're stuck in a spider's web those things made me really happy at that stage and it was a shame I numbed that out because actually those days were like my halcyon days that I really want to go back and remember clearly but of course they were a bit hazy yeah I bet so many people can read the energy of a room better yeah people have had a drug or or had a or got drunk because then 
Yeah. You're just thinking everyone's feeling the same as you. And absorb it. Mm. I think if you're sober in that situation, you get to absorb it. But unfortunately, the joy that I felt, I kind of manipulated it because I wanted it to last longer and I wanted to really feel it even more because it was such a good feeling. Mm. And I did that by overindulging. So actually, I was sort of diluting my happiness with synthetic drugs and alcohol. I mean, I would love to be sober at a rave now. There's this company in Sydney called Ecstatic Sunsets. I've put an event on Cupper for it and it's a rave in Sydney in October. So if anyone fancies going to that, that's something that I enjoy is that feeling of communal joy or communal sadness even. Mm -hmm. That feeling of sharing an emotion together in a room like we did with the breath work. And that makes me feel happy. And it's a shame I got it wrong so often. What about you? So I've got it wrong on countless occasions at Rap parties when I was working in TV. Rap parties? Yeah, rap parties. the end With of rappers? The sh- yeah, me, Snoop. Hey, it's the end yeah. of the show. <laughs> <laughs> me, Snoop, Dre, Eminem. Yeah. <laughs> Countless nights out with those lads. Honestly, uh. that you can't trust us for. Um, <laughs> What a crew. <laughs> Hamish and those guys. I've got it wrong at lots of parties, weddings, birthdays, family celebrations. But I want to try and focus on those more everyday ups and downs. So I'll start with an up. And this was sort of a rare career high for me, I suppose. It was, which was when we opened this. I've told you about this Rwandan cricket stadium. Yes, so this yeah. is a charity that I helped a friend of mine set up in 2011. And in 2017, we opened it. We flew out to Rwanda and we had a big game and lots of our friends and family came and we, you know, we opened it. And honestly, it was, it was arguably the best day of my life yeah. up until that. You know, I've now got married and had a kid. So technically you have to say that those are the best days of your life. But really the cricket. But yeah, no, honestly, it was it was one of the best days of my life. It was the culmination of these six years of work and just the people along the way that, that, that put in far more work than me and deserve far more credit. It was really special to see them celebrate. So it. again, that sort of communal joy again. Yeah. Yes, which we're discovering but, is something that makes us feel good. But we were there for probably a week this was the same trip that I forgot my friend's camera yes, equipment yep. in the back of the car. And I was pretty much drunk for all of it, really. Because right, yeah. it was a holiday and it was yeah. like the end of a project. And it was a celebration. And yeah, it was a celebration. We were staying with mates and it was a piss up. And actually on the day that we opened it, it rained most of the morning. So there wasn't even very much cricket going on. So all of us were inside the one tent, right. which was obviously the bar. So I'm pleased that it was an amazing day, an amazing project. But in a way, it was a shame that I was drunk for so much of it even though the, you know the drink in a way can add to the height for a moment oh exactly it's yeah. only short lived that it's only short lived so it, part of me wishes I'd not drunk for it and yeah. I, I, I definitely will go back and still I still want to experience that joy sober The lows for me, it was I had this, this horrible breakup and I wasn't the cliche that went out loads and got drunk every day to deal with a breakup. You know, I, I wasn't one of those guys. But on the occasions that I did drink, I would often get it wrong. Well, I've spoken about that writing on the wall at Kit Harrington's oh, house. Yes. Um, <laughs> Sending texts you shouldn't send. Oh, I know lots of people know bad, about that. Drunk. Yeah, um, bad idea. I had a few nights when I was just like, I'm go out with mates and mates like, we're going home. And I was like, screw you. I'm not going home. I'm having a solo night out. And you end up at a stranger's house party and then yeah. eventually end up alone in tears. <laughs> <laughs> Inevitably. Inevitably. So I guess drink did not help me in the ups or the downs. Um, So what we're discovering in both of our stories there is that we've had lots of moments. Of course we do, like everybody else. We have our ups and downs, but we seem to always deal with them 
with alcohol. Yeah. Because it's been so ingrained in us since those bloody monks back in the 1300s or whenever it was. So we've never, ever really looked outside of that. And that's what's interesting about this sober, curious movement and how this vast spectrum, wherever you sit, we're starting to look at look at everybody, as uh, people like Hamish, people like me, people that stay at home drinkers, and understand that, look, all of these people have an opportunity for something else, a different mm. direction, and go, look, how was it when we were drinking? How did we experience life and how did we deal with it? And the fact is is that we drank through it. Yeah. And maybe, perhaps, that isn't right. Yeah. That isn't the way that we need to deal with our emotions anymore. And if we're opening up this topic now to a, to a vaster audience, which is creating this whole wave of people starting to do things and experience life without anything to top them up. And it's really fascinating, mm. isn't it? So we've discussed how we celebrated and commiserated before booze was even in our lives as kids. We've touched upon what it was like when we were drinking. Have you found you've changed since giving up booze with regards to this? I think I've changed tremendously. I think more than anything else was after having children. That is a big eye-opener because you can't parent when you're hungover. So you have to like experience your children, which does have its highs and lows and can be really confronting. For me, those confrontations with my children are the things that sort of make me think about drinking again. Mm. Even though I know I wouldn't, they're the moments when I, when I would have reached for a beer. Having a child itself is both a celebration and a commiseration. I found elation yes. that yeah, you're becoming so a parent, yeah. a complete elation. But at the same time, a grief that that stage of life's over, man. Yes, like, yeah, the fun bit. The, yeah, the like, <laughs> the like fun. Was it fun, loose, and fancy free? What's yes. it saying? Yeah, something like something that. Something like that. That stage of zero responsibilities is over. Yeah. So it's kind of both in one. Yeah. And of course, responsibility is an emotion. So therefore, you're going to try and deal with it in some way, which is to block it out, which is to drink. Yeah. So therefore, that's what I did when I first had children. Mm-hmm. My happy times are so much more rewarding now because I can remember them. Babies make you aware of not wanting to miss anything. Like I'm very aware of time passing now because I've got three people who are growing older every year. So it makes me understand that I'm present and conscious to witness them grow up and that's really satisfying. It makes me never want to numb that out is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I'm scared of forgetting. That's why I'm always putting pics on, you know, Facebook and Instagram things because I'm I'm scared of forgetting but at least I'm present to witness their moments and their changes and, and, and their craziness as well. I think one of the biggest changes was when I bought a house. That was never something I imagined myself having when I was a big drinker. I remember the first night, our celebration was just to have fish and chips on the floor in the living room. Mm -hmm. There was no alcohol involved and it was a lovely moment because we just were like, yes, we bought our own house and it was a huge achievement. And I processed that feeling just with a fish and chips, you know. How good did that fish and chips taste? It was the best fish and chips (laughs) I've ever had. One thing that I was interested about this, about me changing and evolving in my sobriety, there's an emotional roller coaster that I'm on at the moment, which is my book getting published. Yeah. And a couple of weeks ago, it felt like I was going to get a book deal from this amazing, massive mm-hmm. company, and then it fell through, and then I felt like I was going to get another one, and then that's fallen through. Mm. And it's like I'm having to really learn how to sort of stabilise my emotions so that I don't get too upset every time this happens. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's new to me because I would have always numbed that feeling out. How have you reacted to the bad news? 
What have you done to cheat yourself up or to experience those emotions? I've come to terms with the fact that that's part of it. Mm -hmm. It's part of the process that I'm going to get rejected and people aren't going to like me. It's the same with Instagram or putting myself out there. You have to accept that rejection is part of this Mm -hmm. and not everyone's going to like what you write or what you say or what you do. And I think that comes just with time and doing it. And and the more rejection I get, almost the better it is because I'll just deal with it. And then one day it will happen and I'll be like, I'll have another fish and chips on the living room floor probably. Yes, there's so many ways that I've become more conscious about changing the way I feel about stuff now and not making mountains out of molehills, like not worrying too much. I am a natural worrier. I worry about the small things and I do need to learn to be more grateful because of my, I do have a lovely life. I do try to make changes. I don't give wine as a gift anymore. I, I celebrate with cake. I buy myself a nice gift instead of a nice bottle of wine. I get, I bought myself a packet of matcha tea. So they're different ways of me celebrating without turning to booze. But I'm definitely feeling more conscious about my emotions and letting them pass in these situations rather than leaning on alcohol to get me through. Yeah. What about you? Well, this is what I've really struggled so far. So yeah, since giving up drinking, I've, I vaguely mentioned it in a previous episode, but I achieved a lifetime goal of mine, right? yeah. which was to present my first radio show. Yes. I say a lifetime. I've wanted to do that since I was 19. So it's it's been taken me 12 years to do it and you know there's been loads of times over the course of that when I have thought about just giving up more more kind of like pressure from relationships or my parents have always been amazing but yeah kind of like it's probably not going to happen for you mate it's been 12 years so both the day I was told I got the show and the day I actually presented it were difficult in different ways so the day I got it I was home alone and I got this phone call saying do you want to present the show next weekend? And I remember telling Liz and we were both ecstatic. So she was like, right, cancel the plans this afternoon. We're meant to like go to a hardware store and buy some stuff. She said, we can't do that. We can't do that. It's the best news you've ever been waiting for this all your life. So well, we're at home and I think we cooked lunch and I think then Sunny kicked off. My son kicked off and then I think Liz got tired and got into bed. So I was literally sitting on the sofa twiddling my thumbs. Yeah. And I just thought, oh my God, this is what a loser. Like I, I'd know... I don't know what to do, you know, like yeah. I, I, I can't, part of me wanted to go to a pub, even if I wasn't going to drink just to be in that environment. Yes. Um, so it was, yeah, it was the first day since I've gone sober that I struggled and I didn't expect to struggle at like a, the, the moment that I've been waiting for for 12 years, you know, like an yeah. amazing phone call. Because you just don't know another way to celebrate something like that. Yeah. We're so taught that this is the time you lean for a glass of bubbly to celebrate. Mm. It is so deep within us, isn't it? Yeah. It's crazy. And then I actually, that day, I asked the Cupper community, what do you guys to celebrate? I think it's really important that you actually find what works for you because some of the answers, although they work for them, I read and was like, that is not going to do it for me. So people said, you know, read a book, have a herbal tea, take yourself to the cinema, treat yourself to a massage. Some of those are good for me. Some of those I'm like, no, that is boring. Like That that for me is not how I want to spend this moment. I do all those things, but not now, not what I'm so ecstatic about this news. So I guess it's just finding exactly what works for you. And then the day that I actually got to present it, was kind of perfect because that was the night that you and I went out for our mocktail night out. Oh, yes, that was out. a nice celebration. So that did feel like a celebration. Yep. It was with you. It was something I love. We were in a bar. <laughs> that was exactly how I wanted to celebrate it. So that was me discovering 
what works for me. So I yeah. think if I was to get another good bit of news like that, I would look to do something like like yes. that. That's how and I still go out and still enjoy yourself, but do it in a way that's not going to affect your mental health the next yeah. day or make you ill. But then yeah. also with the bad news, this is a really dark thought that I had. Oh God! When, when, well, I think I've told you when you said, "Hey, do you want to do the podcast?" and we'll go sober for it. I can remember having this thought, which was, and I really I touch wood here. Someone that I love is going to die right. during the course of this podcast, that, and I, that, during right. the stage of me being sober. Right. And I thought, firstly, fuck, what a terrible thought. But then I thought, good for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It would be an interesting, like, if I experienced that on air yeah. and walked people through the whole grief and, like, me thinking... Yeah. Hey, you can go back to the drink if you want. You're, you know, yeah, it a problem would be a good drinker. Episode. It'd be a great series, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't it? But I did think that. I thought, God, now, now I felt guilty even thinking it, and now I feel guilty even voicing it. Yes. Um, but I, now, what to be honest, happens? now what if it happens? Well, exactly. Hamish? To be honest, I don't know how I would deal with a death. atrocious news. And yeah. I know that this is we're not talking about atrocious news specifically in this episode, but I don't know how I would deal with that. No. Given that if I was to go back to drink, I wouldn't. It wouldn't be me being a full blown alcoholic. Yeah. It would be. I would feel disappointed, but yeah, I don't know how I would deal with that. So no. let's hope that doesn't happen yeah. and that we can still have a great podcast yes, without, without any losing deaths. someone I love. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that would be good. If I we thought can I would share a very dark thought. No, but I, I do know what you're talking about, Hamish, there. I I experienced a near death in my family yeah. last year and and I now have a son one that nearly died and one that's suffering from anxiety mm. because of what he saw mm. that mm. day. And these moments they're really what make us. I know that it was a terrible thing and that anyone dying or anything bad happening is awful and it does feel awful and I can understand why people would turn to alcohol. And even having like an overly emotional daughter, which I have, or arguments over shoes or general household unease, all of these little things are triggers that make us think about alcohol. So I understand where you're coming from with that because... We get scared of how we're going to deal with things. We get scared that it's going to affect us and that we're going to have a total mental breakdown if something goes wrong. But actually, in fact, after going through this tsunami in Thailand, mm. I saw people, how they recovered from that so quickly. It was inspiring going to these places where I visited after the tsunami and saw people back at work, even if their whole families had passed away, they were back at work and getting on with life. And that is the circle of life. And that's what makes us human, is that we get on with things and that makes us strong and that makes us inspiring to our children and things. So we're always learning, aren't we? It's interesting. And I learned a lot during that period. And I'm learning a lot since my son nearly died last year. I'm learning that I can process my emotions and I can learn to know not drink and not think about alcohol when those things bubble up to the surface. I do kind of think that getting through each of these events or traumas or whatever they are and not choosing to have a drink is kind yeah. of like each of them is kind of like a building block. Yes. And totally. each time you tick one off, you put yeah. it down like you getting through your son almost yeah. dying. That was a big block. It was the massive one. That was like one. a big one building towards this strong wall of yes. sobriety. I don't know, that's how I'm picturing no, it. No, that's true. But I kind of think and then those little ones which you know, you might think a little one like whatever, having a bad day at work and yes. not drinking yeah. is only a little one. It's not as big as getting through a wedding, but those are the ones that happen every day. And those yeah. are more significant in a way because they happen so, so frequently. So it's also making everything sort of relative, isn't it? And and saying, well, I've been through that. So basically I can go through anything mm. now. It mm. does make you feel stronger. And I know these things are shit that happen in life, but they happen for a reason and they do make you feel stronger. I mean, we could worry about illness and death until the cows come home. 
But I think we have to head off those negative feelings and thoughts at the cattle grid Mm -hmm. because they will make you stronger in the end. Really, Haim, I can't drink in those situations and I feel confident that I never will. I mean, what's the point? Are you beginning, Hamish, to see that there are really no positives from drinking apart from that fake short-term jubilation? I think part of me is starting to wonder why I did it. We spend so long thinking about and talking about it here and unpicking it. Yeah. I kind of feel like I've taken off these glasses and I can see more clearly at yeah. why I did it and was it actually good for me? I think I'm seeing more clearly now. I'm unravelling you. You're slowly <laughs> chipping away at my I, soul. I am. <laughs> yeah. That is exactly what I'm doing. I'm going to break you. I've already told you that already. I'm going to break you in like an elephant. (laughs) Oh, God. So we've established just how we deal with these situations. But what are the benefits of dealing with life's kinks and turns without alcohol? Well, one of them is that painful situations can be addressed and dealt with faster without the need for dragging them out over weeks or months or, of course, drowning them out with alcohol. Yes, You can face the emotions head on and truly feel and experience them. Exactly. You rediscover your authentic childlike joy. I I mean, we already talked about that in the beginning. We felt joy, happiness and sadness when we were kids and it was perfectly all right. We didn't have to use anything that was fake to prop that up. We just were happy or were sad. I saw a photograph of Robin Williams with his partner close to the end of his life I think when he was sober yeah. and she was also sober and they met through that and I remember thinking that photograph they, they were having dinner and they looked so happy and yeah. in my head I was like God, they look like children happy and yeah. I knew that there was no drugs and I knew there was no alcohol in yeah. those smiles there's something quite to be beautiful. said for that isn't there for yeah. that sort of genuine happiness yeah you can figure out who you really are and what works in each situation you're no longer a sheep that just drinks alcohol to celebrate or commiserate everything Longer lasting highs and more control over your lows if you quit drinking. I think that's the important one, isn't it? Yeah. There is also a more level sort of contentment. There's no need for those drastic highs and those bottomless lows. Yeah. No need for extreme highs, which seems to discourage the lows. So, yeah, it's a more stable way of living, not searching for something that is more than. Mm -hmm. Sobriety means settle for simple. Things generally will feel less chaotic. So, Vic, what can the listeners do when everyday emotion arises? How do you stop your hand from sneaking into the cutlery drawer and grabbing at the bottle opener when times get happy or tough? Well, there are loads of things, Hamish. We've covered a few of them here. You know, put the kettle on, go for a walk, watch TV. You know, some of those things that you resonated from the people that Mm. had written to you on Cuppa. Some of those things will work. I mean, phone a mate, dance, eat, chat it out. Whatever you find works for you, as long as you don't put a drink to your lips, of course. But the best advice I can give you, Hame, is to feel it. Feel whatever emotion arises. Sit with it. Allow it to pass through you. If it's happiness smile and if it's sadness cry just feel that emotion instead of faltering and choosing the traditional option which would be to drink it away i think what we've learned in this podcast today is that feeling is okay it might not be as euphoric as it used to be it sounds like you sacrifice unrealistic highs when you give up drinking and life might not be as dramatic but that's okay do you think living like that brings more serenity vic yes i certainly do Our history and culture has been teaching us for centuries that we need to use this drug to dampen every feeling we've ever had. And actually, it's not true. Those cheeky Greeks and Romans were all bloody wrong. (laughs) 
We can learn how to feel happy and sad. You can stabilize your feelings, let go of tradition, evolve a little bit, and discover what's been hiding under that cheap bottle of prosecco. Just give it a go. Next time you feel an emotion, just sit with it and watch it pass. It's a lovely feeling not having to drown out what life throws at you. I want to end this episode by quoting someone that probably explored the highs and lows of alcohol and drugs as much as anyone, and that is Beatles legend Ringo Starr. He said, that's all drugs and alcohol do. They cut off your emotions in the end. Yeah. God, that's such a good quote. That's so true. I mean, you end up being stunted by it and then you're trying to fix yourself by drinking more and you're chasing the happiness in the end, like chasing the dragon with another drug. So, yeah, you can never, ever find that joy again. So the only way to really experience real joy is to actually give up drinking altogether. It's crazy, isn't it? Tie a chain to the dragon and keep the dragon close rather than chase it. Yeah, that's that's a good euphemism. Yeah. So what are you doing now, Hamish? You off? Yeah, I'm off. This is the last one before you go to England, isn't it? This is it. So (sighs) in a way, I kind of feel like it's like the culmination of every challenge you have set me was towards this trip. Yeah. So I've done the dancing and the hugs, which are going to make me feel less self-conscious at a wedding and better at speaking and connecting with strangers sober. I have done... The breath work, the ice work, the sound healing. The therapy session. The therapy session. That's all sort of self-discovery and self I've set you up quite well, you haven't have, I? Isn't it? You, need to, you need to write a book, but you have. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I kind of feel like this is, for me, the ultimate challenge. Yes, it's these three weddings that I've got, but it's also these two garden parties at my house, which is a celebration of me and my wife, my child, and all of our friends and family come to our house and we are serving champagne. Oh, gosh. Um, and it's eyes on us. Um, and I'll have to make the conversation with everyone. I'll yep. know everyone at the party, which obviously doesn't happen too often. And it's also seeing all of my friends that I've always drunk with just the Thursday afternoons when I go to the pub and meet them. Yep. I've not seen them in three and a half years. I've so- seen my own family or my yep. brother. Post-lockdown meetings. Post-lockdown. Yep. It's me celebrating coming home with a child and, my- and a wife for the first time. So this is going to be a huge test it's for you. Huge. This is mega. It is the thing that I've been thinking of the most since going sober. It's, yep. the-, it's the biggest challenge of all the challenges that we've done over the course of the podcast. Yeah. So the next podcast that we record, I think Hamish will have been and come mm. back from England by then and we'll report back on how he's gone. Yeah. And we'll get all the juicy details and a few pictures, I hope. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a six week long challenge. Yeah. Excellent. I can't wait to hear how it goes. I believe in you, Hamish. Thank you. And I think you can hold the torch high for the sober people here in Australia and England and show them what being sober can be like. I will do Which you is proud. full of genuine joy. Yes, yep. that's the hope. That is the hope. Thank Have you. Have a brilliant holiday anyway. I will. I yeah. will. Anything funny to say? Um... <laughs> <laughs> thought no, not. No. I thought not. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. If you're questioning your relationship with booze, you're struggling to moderate, or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for some support. Yeah, just talk to a mate about how you're feeling, contact a local doctor, find an AA or sobriety group. Fix got one. Yeah, just head to www.cuppa.community. Remember, if you're questioning yourself, it might be time to seek support. Even though this journey can be awkward, it is definitely worth it. And if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to review it, rate it and share it with your mates. 
they have to share it with their mates? Yeah, of course they do. I'm not doing this for nothing, Amish. Bloody hell. Have to share it.